BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Imagine being such a schmuck that all the other people in the schmuck party not only hate you and are trying to defeat you, but that they have coordinated their hatred so that the votes against you keep growing and you get more humiliated each time you step out there. Imagine that's you. That would mean you are Jim Jordan. Hi, schmuck. We've had two rounds of floor votes, writes Congressman Rutherford of Florida, and the vote against Jordan has only gotten stronger. The hardball tactics haven't worked. If we move to a third round, we already know the opposition is on track to grow. It's time for Representative Jordan to understand this race is over. Tonight, I suggest we either go to conference to show him in private or back to the floor to show him in public. Representative Jordan is fiddling while the world is on fire. Hot damn, the Republicans hate Jim Jordan more than we do. I'll get to what Rutherford referred to there as hardball tactics. He ain't talking about the show Chris Matthews now does for passersby and invisible friends. But first, there is more reporting that the vote total against Jordan didn't just increase from 20 on the first ballot to 22 on the second, but it was increased deliberately. Quote, some of Jim Jordan's opponents tell me they have been purposely staggering their no votes over multiple ballots, 
wrote a CNN reporter, a strategy designed to show Jordan's speakership opposition is only growing. And that's why they tell me Jordan will bleed even more support on a third ballot. Reporting by other outlets late last night, including that of the Washington Post, implies the same thing. Why? Why, as the Republican brand, we may not be smart or honest or patriotic, but at least we're organized crime. Why, as the Republican brand is melting around them, why are key members of the caucus seemingly making it worse by not just trying to beat Jordan, but by trying to beat him up? Because he started it. Congressman Rutherford there says Jordan has been bullying people for votes and is personally to blame for threats and doxing against those who have not supported him. He's absolutely responsible for it, Rutherford says, and it doesn't work. Nobody likes to have their arm twisted. Congresswoman Miller Meeks says she has gotten, quote, credible death threats after abandoning her support for Jordan. Congressman Womack says, based on what I've been through and what my staff has been through, it's obvious what the strategy is, attack, attack, attack. Congressman Jimenez of Florida says he went to Jordan directly and told him, I don't really take well to threats. Congresswoman Jen Keggins says, threats and intimidation tactics will not change my principles and values. But on the other hand, Congresswoman Kay Granger of Texas says she's been the victim of intimidation and threats rather than threats and intimidation. Lastly, Congressman Don Bacon's wife got threatening anonymous texts on her personal cell. Why is your husband causing chaos by not supporting Jim Jordan? I thought he was a team player and your husband will not hold any political office ever again. What a disappoint and failure he is. That semi-literate misuse of disappoint instead of disappointment suggests, of course, that the text could easily have been personally sent by the boneheaded Jim Jordan himself. So what next? There is the likeliest answer. Jordan, who, like most of the Republicans, has never thought for a moment that if you base a political career on our party on threats and hate, that eventually somebody on your own side will threaten and hate you more than you can threaten and hate them. Jim Jordan will stage a third vote anyway, and he will lose this one by at least 24. There is the very low chance that there's a surprise twist here. Like there's a big reveal sometime today that Matt Gates actually works for Hakeem Jeffries or something. And since Gates propelled this snowball down the hill right into Republican World Headquarters, the Occam's razor explanation of this would be that he did it deliberately. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy Faust. Twist indeed. Or if you want the fantasy land version of how this turns out. For a long time now, whenever I have seen this phony Jim Jordan walking around in his shirt sleeves, because that's his blue collar pitch, that he's got his jacket off, and that means he's working hard for you, Mr. and Mrs. Joe Ohio, as opposed to just implying that he's taken his jacket off and can't remember where he put it. Every time I have seen Jordan do this shtick, I have thought of one character 
in the most jam-packed piece of political fiction of the 1960s, the Otto Preminger film Advise and Consent. In it, there is a character called Senator Fred Van Ackerman, supposedly of Wyoming, a smarmy little bug-eyed fascist played to the hilt by the great George Grizzard. Van Ackerman is a climber, and when it appears that one of his Senate colleagues is blocking the dying president's controversial pick for Secretary of State, Van Ackerman blackmails that senator over his gay dalliances during the war. I mean, this was some startling content for 1962. Anyway, the senior senators eventually find out about Van Ackerman's perfidy, and they confront him, and they confront him during a vote on the floor, and they bury him alive. Fortunately says the majority leader, our country always manages to survive patriots like you. We could introduce a resolution to censure and expel you, but we don't want Brig Anderson's tired old sin made public, whatever it was. So we'll let you stay if you want to. And as the blood drains from Van Ackerman's face, the majority leader's deputy then croaks, if you want to. And you realize Van Ackerman has the choice between resigning or spending the rest of his life as Senator Susan Collins. Jim Jordan is about one plot twist away from being Fred Van Ackerman in advise and consent. He's not only not going to be Speaker of the House, he's going to be damn lucky at this rate if he winds up just serving out his term. Fortunately, our country always manages Mr. to survive patriots like you. Yes. We could introduce a resolution to censor Mr. and expel you, Bentley. but we don't want Brig Anderson's no. tired old sin made public. Mrs. Bishop? Whatever it was. Yes. So we let you stay. Mr. If you want to. If you want to. Well, the Gaza hospital scam didn't last 24 hours, did it? I mean, I am not prepared to say case closed, but when it proves that whatever hit the hospital did not actually hit the hospital, but only hit the parking lot, all subsequent claims about almost anything become exponentially more unbelievable. The thing is, I was watching BBC World as it unfolded, and they had an interview with a doctor who was inside the hospital. And this was half an hour, an hour after the explosion. And he said he heard the explosion. He said he ran down a hallway and saw the fire and he saw the wounded and he didn't know if the ER was still intact or the operating theaters were. And for a moment, a little thankful bell went off inside my head that at least the entire hospital had not been destroyed. And then that little bell got drowned out by a lot of subsequent noise and I never came back to it. A reminder why I usually keep a whole book of post-its next to me. Now, after the scene at the hospital was recorded in daylight, it became obvious there was no giant missile strike. There is a crater about one thousandth the size of what one would have produced. The hospital itself is almost untouched. It certainly was not hit by a missile. And I suppose the allegation that it was an Israeli attack could have been made sincerely, albeit falsely, in real time. But once again, there are outsized events that just render the rest of an allegation ludicrous. They blew up the hospital. Uh, well, not the hospital. They, they blew up the parking lot. And then 
A Hamas spokesman goes on Britain's Channel 4 News yesterday and denies there was any kind of Hamas terrorism or attack on October 7th and there were no hostages taken and that all the Israelis are just prisoners of war. And I think I think we are giving Hamas too much credit as liars. I will suggest there may yet be more to this than meets the eye. The authenticity of that Israeli Defense Forces audio of a supposed call between two terrorists is also in doubt in some quarters anyway. The accents are said not to match those of Gazans, and for Gazans, the two men clearly do not have any idea of street and building locations. Or that claim is just another Hamas lie as well. It may merit more investigation. But the principal one doesn't. But this underscores the importance of the rhetorical question which is given in response now to the claim that Joe Biden is too old to be president. Too old to do what? To fly to Israel overnight anyway, after the Arab leaders suddenly all got too scared of their own people to meet with him and to devote 98% of his time in Israel to support for an ally and especially its people and then use the other 2% of the time to matter-of-factly state that what he had seen from intelligence indicated Israel did not bomb a hospital and to, without fanfare or drama, simply lend the authenticity of the United States of America to the truth at a time when truth is on the run worldwide on, and get a symbolic but important concession out of all parties to let 20 trucks of humanitarian aid in through Egypt. Can your 80-year-old do that? Your 70-year-old? Your 50-year-old? For F's sake, Trump would have tried to bomb somebody by now while promoting the Saudis as great people, great friends of the game of golf. President Biden is fighting three opponents in the 2024 presidential race. The Republicans, the unlimited money produced by the Pandora's box that was Citizens United, which is not just supporting Republicans, but supporting a push to end representative government in this country. More on that in a moment. And the third opponent, the mainstream media, which likes nothing better than, and this was true even in 2004 with Bush, at least until the Osama bin Laden tape dropped the week before the election, which likes nothing better than the narrative of the incumbent president is in trouble. You know what was going on 40 years ago this morning, October 19th, 1983? I just picked this out of newspapers.com as I was writing today's script. Throughout American newspapers of October 19th, 1983, there are a lot of references to Ronald Reagan, nearly 73 years old, being way too old to take a second term or even to stand for re-election. And this was in literally 300 or so American newspapers on this date in 1983. It's David Broder's column out of the Washington Post, the high priest of both sides-ism at the full blossom of his finding some middle road that leads nowhere. You ready? Quote, The people who are opening the Reagan-Bush headquarters this week are operating on two assumptions, that Ronald Reagan is a candidate for a second term, and that he will face a tough fight for re-election. The campaign plan is based on the assumption that Reagan will face a united and determined Democratic Party, probably with Walter F. Mondale at the head of the ticket. But 
possibly topped by John Glenn. In the view of the president's strategists, Mondale would be tough. Glenn, even tougher. Unquote. Headlines out of that? Reagan too old? Too old, Reagan might not run for a second term. Too old, Reagan might be primaried. And if he's not, he's very, very worried about how tough the Democrats will be, especially if Walter Mondale is the candidate. Outcome, 385 days later, Reagan, 525 electoral votes, Mondale, 13. One, three. Biden is running against the media. That will turn, or it will at least neutralize, as soon as there is a pro-Biden narrative, simple and catchy enough for even today's David Broders to understand it and to then write the same thing about it once a week for the next 54 weeks. Keep it simple, stupid. You're talking to political reporters. Well, maybe that same thing that they can write about for the next 54 weeks is this. Not only is Cornell West not the Green Party candidate, and not only is he not anything except a spoiler designed to steal votes away from Biden, and not only is he a utter phony, he's not even a progressive. NBC News reporting that West's last set of fundraising reports before the Greens kicked him out and he went utterly independent notes the maximum campaign donation of $3,300 from Harlan Crow. You know Harlan Crow. Harlan Crow is the owner and operator of Justice Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas of your Supreme Religious Court. Harlan Crow, owner-operator. Harlan Crow explains his donation simply. He says that Cornell West is, quote, a good friend of his. If the continuing efforts by Trumpists to poison the presidential campaign with a series of Trojan horse Republicans dressed up as independents, the Joe Lieberman no-labels con artists, the hilariously backfiring RFK Jr. campaign, and now this fiasco with Cornell freaking West, Harlan Crow's $3,300 whore, if that's not something for the media to turn into a running campaign 2024 story, how about this other idea that I came across? This little effort to, uh, you know, destroy the, uh, you know, uh, democracy. The Center for Politics at the University of Virginia polled Americans on getting rid of representative government. 31% of Trump supporters agree that democracy is no longer a viable system and America should explore alternate forms of government to ensure stability and progress. I don't know if they asked Harlan Crow. 30% of Trump supporters believe elections should be suspended during times of crisis. I had a time of crisis last week. We could have suspended all the elections then. 37% believe laws should be enacted to limit the expression of views considered unpatriotic or disloyal. 41% of Trump supporters believe red states should secede. 31% 
say the ends justify the means and any action taken by the Republican Party is acceptable if it achieves our goals. You think there might be a story in that? Now, to be fair, in none of those categories, none, did Democrats turn in a zero. In fact, the percentage of Trump supporters who said Democrats have become so extreme that it is acceptable to use violence to stop them is 38%. But the percentage of Biden supporters who said Republicans have become so extreme that it is acceptable to use violence to stop them is... 41 percent. And if you will let me pretend that I'm upset that we won that one and that the Democrats are readier if it comes to a fight, if you'll let me pretend that, I'll let you pretend the same thing. The funniest thing about this UVA poll portending the end of the democracy is the money question of the whole thing. It's Biden versus Trump. Who you got? And the answer... <laughs> The answer is 5248 Joe Biden. All right, y'all want to end democracy, but first we need to reelect President Biden. Okay. Also of interest here, there were pro-Palestinian protests at the US Capitol and they were peaceful and the protesters went and got themselves screened by security before they went in. Yet one member of Congress compared it to January 6th and insisted they must all be arrested and it's an insurrection. And then that member of Congress published the Intifada's group chat. And the Intifada's group chat is about hot dogs. One guess who that dumbest member of Congress is who has done this. That's next. This is Countdown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds you know, the basketball nerds. They're like, you know, who's ready to catch Creighton? You don't watch Creighton. They play. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not, never the, gonna, not, the, not the Big East tournament? Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But, like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That could, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. that. Like, that's why do we all have to act like Creighton? Is a, is, a, is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of the – Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you, you telling me – You've seen the whole time. 
And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This is Countdown with Keith Overman. on countdown not a big deal just the most venerable disc jockey in new york promising to get me the 21 year old backup morning sportscaster fired and then one hour later promising to get me the 21 year old backup sportscaster signed to a multi-year contract on his show things i promised not to tell next First time for the Daily Roundup of the Miscreants, Morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The Bronze, Georgia Congressman Mike Collins. Gotta give him credit. He's trying to make chicken salad out of the Republican Chicken Spit Caucus clown show in the House. As Jim Jordan pulled out of his tie with Steve Scalise for most times not elected speaker, even though his party has the majority... Collins looked on the bright side of things. He tweeted, quote, breaking. Hakeem Jeffries just lost his 17th straight vote for speaker. Collins, of course, missing the starker reality that Jeffries has now had the most votes in three straight votes for speaker. The runner up also from Congress, Barney Rubble herself, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Douglas Mackey, who in 2016 ran a campaign to prevent minority voters from voting by convincing them online they could vote by text. That is a federal crime, doesn't matter who they might have been voting for. Douglas Mackey was sentenced to a token jail term yesterday, seven months. He will not serve nearly that long. Green's response, quote, the communist gulags are here in America. She learned a new word, gulag. The communist gulags are here in America. Douglas Mackey was just sentenced to seven months in federal prison for the crime of posting memes. Who's next? You? Unquote. Well, first to answer your rhetorical question, actually, Marge, hopefully it's you. But our winner, oh, look, it's Marjorie Taylor Greene again. 
From that Douglas Mackey tweet, you might think she's just acting stupid, that she's using her simpleton mind to please her simpleton supporters, leaving out inconvenient facts like the memes were part of an election fraud campaign that violated the federal laws. But just when you start thinking she's not really dumb, she's just playing dumb, she roars back into show. Now, she's really dumb. Really, really dumb. There was a pro-Palestine protest at the Capitol yesterday. Protesters went through security to get in. There was no violence. Nobody bought or brought bear spray. There were arrests, all of them peaceful, like nearly all the protests at the Capitol and all the planned arrests they've ever had there. Green compared this to the one protest at the Capitol that was not peaceful, to January 6th. Global Intifada, she tweeted over a photo. It's an Arabic rebellion, an uprising. Photo of one of the insurrectionist phones. These people are not for peace. The photo, which Green says she took herself, shows a phone. And on the phone, there is a group chat and the group chat and the messages are readable and the heading is Global Intifada and the messages read in order, quote, trying to find you. The next one says, back right if you face rally. And the third one says, back of the rally next to the dirt path, walk straight back from Polish hot dog stand. Yes, there it is. The terrifying message of the Washington DC Global Intifada. Walk straight back from Polish hot dog stand. Marjorie Taylor, also she misspelled global in her tweet. She wrote goal ball. Goal ball intifada. Goal ball intifada green moron. Today's worst person in the world. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and today's things I promised not to tell This remains, in short as terrifying as anything else in my career Death threats fake anthrax what New York felt like post 9-11, the frozen feeling of realizing you've made a terrible damaging mistake on a story, even working for Rupert Murdoch. Worse than that. 42 years have passed since this event, and nothing has dimmed the memory. Nothing has reduced the palpable sense of anxiety in every joint in my body. On Sunday, December 21st, 1980, the Oakland Raiders defeated the New York Giants 33-17 to end the Giants' season at four wins and 12 losses with the most points they had given up in one year since 1966. I was the backup sportscaster at WNEW Radio in New York. We carried the Giants' game broadcasts. In fact, we had carried them since I was two years old. I was now a month shy of 22 and it being Christmas week, I reported bright and early to the studios at 41st Street and 3rd Avenue on Monday, December 22nd. My first sportscast was at 5.30 a.m. There was a theme song which invoked the name of the regular sportscaster, John Kennelly. It said sports and commentary. And my first few weeks filling in that year, I stuck mostly to the sports with just an occasional commentary, but mostly a joke or pithy observation. Well, kind of pithy. But that first weekend of winter, the giant stink was all that we could smell in New York, and I felt I had to point it out, pointedly. And so while I observed that there was a positive, they had started 1-8, and eight, but then had actually won three of their last seven games, the rest of my commentary was cynical, acerbic, dissatisfied. In other words, the average day of the typical New York sports fan. I ended my show right on time at 5.35 a.m., and to my surprise, I heard the disc jockey skip his usual post-sportscast remarks and instead simply play the next record, which I think was Frank Sinatra's The Way You Look Tonight. We were a big band station. I stepped out of the booth and took the dozen strides through the newsroom, busy even at that hour with eight or ten staffers, and I was sitting down at my desk when the door from the main air studio slammed open. In the doorway stood the dish jockey, and he had a message for me. The message was, you punk. The dish jockey's name was Ted Brown. On the air, he was your morning man, Ted Brown, speaking upbeat drivel, 
mostly to women who loved the mellow sound of his voice. Off the air, WNEW was his station, and the morning show was his show. He would fight for it. In fact, he had fought at least two news reporters in his time in the studio while Frank Sinatra records played on a turntable 30 feet away. Ted Brown was a big man, 6'3", 6'4", maybe. By this point, I don't know, 230, 40, 250, thick tortoiseshell glasses. He was a sports fan, a huge gambler, racetracks mostly. The Giants had begun on WNEW in 1961. Ted Brown had begun on WNEW in 1949. And he was tough. And it was not even the New York tough I had grown up with. This guy had been a tail gunner on a B-17 during the Second World War, and the Nazis shot him down, and they took him to Stalag 9C near Leipzig, and they kept him there for 18 months. And basically, he chewed up and spit out guys like me for breakfast. And I respected him. You punk! So you don't like how the Giants did? You think any of us do? He gestured towards the newscasters and staffers. Nobody looked up. You know how easy it is to sit there in a nice, heated, dry, comfortable newsroom? I was in Stalag 9C! His contempt for the idea of the newsroom was amazing. You sit here in your newsroom and pontificate while men, men in helmets with mud on them, their bones breaking, their hearts pounding they are out on the field fighting and tackling and working on the field of battle so you can sit here in your newsroom it was at this point that i remembered where i had first seen a photograph of ted brown he was in a booth at yankee stadium where the Giants played in the 1960s. He was the third man, a combination color announcer and host, on Giants radio broadcasts on WNEW. He was the worst possible person to have heard me rip the New York Giants, even the 4 and 12 1980 New York Giants, even if editorially I was completely correct and not nearly as hard on the team as its own announcers had been on our station the day before. What did you do to earn your spot here, punk? Ted Brown was turning red. One of his fists was already clenched, while the other arm cut through the air to emphasize how much I sucked. I truly believed he was about to take a swing at me. Then from behind him, the door from his studio swung open again, and the elderly engineer, the man who actually spun the records on Ted's show, came through it. Ted, I just had to segue out of Sinatra to Jimmy Cagney singing Yankee Doodle Dandy, and the, the general manager called, and he said, I should tell you, WNEW does not segue no records. Don't do it again. You better get back in here. The Cagney's almost finished. The engineer then vanished silently back through the door. This warning did nothing but make Ted Brown even angrier. The general manager! Have you met the general manager, punk? Jack Thayer! And Jack Thayer gets in here at 8.20 every morning on the dot. Clockwork, punk. When you finish your 8.30 sportscast, I'm dragging you in to meet Jack Thayer, the general manager. And that, punk, is when your career at WNEW Radio will come to an abrupt end. And you think the New York Giants had a bad 1980? How about your 1980, punk, when your career ended? Because the real men, the real men are out there on the playing field, not sitting inside a nose room 
in a sweater. This continued for some time. The engineer returned. Ted, it's Thayer again. I, I just segued to some Mel Torme. Ted Thayer wants to talk to you. He thinks maybe you're not here and I'm covering for you. Ted Brown turned and swore dark oaths against the engineer and, for that matter, against the general manager, Jack Thayer, and, for that matter, against Mel Torme. You and me, punk! 835! The end of your career, punk! He lunged at me suddenly. The engineer grabbed him and pulled him back through the door. In the newsroom, there were only two sounds. One, my heart, which I suspect was audible, perhaps the next block. The other, typing. Nobody said a word. Nobody looked at me. A phone rang. The production assistant sang out, WNEW News. I went over to the newscaster who had been the most supportive of me to that point, Bob Hagen. And through my shaking, I said, thanks for the help, Bob. Bob did not look up from his typewriter. What? He said matter-of-factly. Brown? I said, yes, Brown. He's going to get me fired in three hours. Bob Hagen laughed. No, he's not. I said, he just spent, I don't know how many minutes, he spent three records screaming at me. Didn't you hear him? I heard him. We all heard him. We've all heard him every time he said that. He said that to every one of us out here. He said that about every one of us out here. He took a swing at Eisgrau over there. What was it, Jimmy, two months ago? Ignore him. I said I failed to see why any of what he had told me should encourage me to ignore Ted Brown when we had a meeting with the general manager at 8.35. Bob Hagen now stopped typing and smiled up at me reassuringly from his chair. Keith. You do a good job. Ted is nuts. Ted is mean. Ted is a crazy Giants fan. Ted is also still bitter that he's not on the radio broadcast of the Giants games. But Ted has also been doing morning radio almost every day since 1945. Keith, that's 35 years of getting up in the middle of the night. And many, many years ago, Keith, Ted stopped remembering things. Like what somebody said on his show. He doesn't remember. He won't remember. Just finish off the next sportscast with one of your clever, funny little kicker stories. And even if he somehow remembers what you said about the Giants, when he hears a good laugh, all he'll remember is the laugh. I tried to be respectful of Bob, but I told him I found all of this hard to believe. Keith, he also drinks. He has nightmares. He has POW nightmares. And he gets up at 3 a.m. every day. He does not imprint new memories anymore. But no, why should you listen to me? I've only been on his show for 10 years. Why would I know? I'm telling you, get a good, funny kicker for the 6.30 and he'll love you. I nodded grimly. I did not believe Bob Hagen, but I knew he meant well. And anyway, he had started to type again. The clock now moved impossibly quickly. Incredibly, I did find just the kind of funny, clever kicker story Bob suggested I should use to close the 6.30 sportscast. I minimized my assault on the Giants and then finished off my report with some story that shed a good light on Montclair State College in New Jersey. I could not have known, and I swear I did not know, that Ted Brown's sister had graduated from Montclair State College in New Jersey. I finished off the sportscast with the story, something that made Montclair State look good, a little chuckle, and then Keith Olbermann for John Kennelly on the Ted Brown Show.
ominously, again to my terror, Ted Brown now said nothing on the air. I could not see him through the window into the main air studio. The engineer played a record instead. It may have been the Montavani strings play the Beatles. I opened the door back to the newsroom slowly and with trepidation. I crouched as I moved back towards my desk, and that's when it happened. The door from the main air studio slammed open again. It was Ted Brown again. Where is he? Where is he? Montclair State? My sister went to Montclair State. What a story. What a great laugh. Perfectly delivered. My God, that was the best sportscast we have ever had on this station. Don't you think so, Preeley? God love you, kid. What a talent. I laughed out loud. Kid, I don't laugh out loud. It was the same Ted Brown. I stole a quick glance at the newsroom to see if this whole thing was some kind of act being filmed for a hidden camera TV series. Nobody looked up. Again, nobody looked up. Ted Brown, the man who an hour before was ready to beat me up and get me fired, was now repeating again and again that I had just delivered the best sportscast in the history of WNEW radio. That's when his engineer came back in. He had segued from Montavani to Perry Como, and the general manager had called, and now Ted Brown's eyes widened behind the thick glasses. The general manager, Jack Thayer, say, Keith, have you ever met Jack Thayer? This gives me a great idea. Jack Thayer comes in here every morning at 8.20 like clockwork. Look, I, I love John Kennelly. He's great. But you, you are exactly the kind of new, fresh, young voice we need on this radio station. Damn it, that I need on my show. When Jack Thayer comes in here at 8.20 this morning, you and I are going right into his office, and we're going to get you your own sportscast on my show. We can do two sportscasts an hour. We'll take it out of the, the stock report. Montclair State, I'll get you a contract. You and Kennelly... Will 75 grand be enough for you, kid? You're going to hit the big time here, my friend. And out the engineer came again. Jack Thayer had again called in, fourth time that I knew of. He really needed Ted back in the studio to talk to the women. Ted Brown happily shouted, okay, okay, and began to back up into the doorway. The look in his eyes towards me was one of unimaginable love. Come here, come here, wait, come here, come here, come here. And he lunged at me and grabbed me into a bear hug. Just brilliant. Montclair State. I got to call my sister and tell you, see you in Jack's office at 835. I stood there, having now been pummeled by two hurricanes arriving from different directions in the span of one hour. All was silent in the WNEW newsroom again but for the typing, but it was silent only for a moment. That's when Bob Hagen addressed me. Again, he did not look up. All he said was, Keith, he won't remember that either. done all the damage i can do here thank you for listening countdown has come to you from the vin scully studio at the olderman broadcasting empire in new york the music you heard was for the most part arranged produced and performed by the countdown musical directors brian ray and john philip chanel brian ray handled guitars bass and drums john philip chanel did orchestration and keyboards and the whole thing was produced by tko brothers other music, including other Beethoven tunes, arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. 
The sports music is courtesy of ESPN Inc., and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, and we call it the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Howard Feynman. Everything else was pretty much my fault. The Nats countdown for this, the 1017th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. And now, WNEW Sports and Commentary with John Kenley. And good morning, Keith Olbermann for Big John. Sports is brought to you by Amtrak. America is getting into training with Metroliner service 13 times every business day to Philadelphia. They run from Penn Station, and if you were there last night, you probably heard some noise from upstairs. It was Ranger fans celebrating the new year a little early. So we let you stay. Mr. Bronson. If you want to. Mr. Bronson. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. After six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.